section twenty two of the fortunes of nigel by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty credit me friend it hath been ever thus since the ark rested on mount ararat false man hath sworn and woman hath believed repented and reproached and then believed once more the new world by the time that margaret returned with monopola the lady hermione was rising from the table at which she had been engaged in writing something on a small slip of paper which she gave to her attendant monopola she said carry this paper to roberts the cash-keeper let them give you the money mentioned in the note and bring it hither presently monopola left the room and her mistress proceeded i do not know she said margaret if i have done and am doing well in this affair my life has been one of strange seclusion and i am totally unacquainted with the practical ways of this world an ignorance which i know cannot be remedied by mere reading i fear i am doing wrong to you and perhaps to the laws of the country which affords me refuge by thus indulging you and yet there is something in my heart which cannot resist your entreaties oh listen to it listen to it dear generous lady said margaret throwing herself on her knees and grasping those of her benefactress and looking in that attitude like a beautiful mortal in the act of supplicating her tutelary angel the laws of men are but the injunctions of mortality but what the heart prompts is the echo of the voice from heaven within us rise rise maiden said hermione you affect me more than i thought i could have been moved by aught that should approach me rise and tell me whence it comes that in so short a time your thoughts your looks your speech and even your slightest actions are changed from those of a capricious and fanciful girl to all this energy and impassioned eloquence of word and action i am sure i know not dearest lady said margaret looking down but i suppose that when i was a trifler i was only thinking of trifles what i now reflect is deep and serious and i am thankful if my speech and manner bear reasonable proportion to my thoughts it must be so said the lady yet the change seems a rapid and strange one it seems to be as if a childish girl had at once shot up into deep-thinking and impassioned woman ready to make exertions alike and sacrifices with all that vain devotion to a favourite object of affection which is often so basely rewarded the lady hermione sighed bitterly and monopola entered ere the conversation proceeded farther she spoke to her mistress in the foreign language in which they frequently conversed but which was unknown to margaret we must have patience for a time said the lady to her visitor the cash-keeper is abroad on some business but he is expected home in the course of half an hour margaret wrung her hands in vexation and impatience minutes are precious continued the lady that i am well aware of and we will at least suffer none of them to escape us monopola shall remain below and transact our business the very instant that roberts returns home she spoke to her attendant accordingly who again left the room you are very kind madam very good said the poor little margaret while the anxious trembling of her lip and of her hand showed all that sickening agitation of the heart which arises from hope deferred be patient margaret and collect yourself said the lady you may you must have much to do to carry through this your bold purpose reserve your spirits which you may need so much be patient it is the only remedy against the evils of life yes madam said margaret wiping her eyes and endeavouring in vain to suppress the natural impatience of her temper i have heard so very often indeed and i dare say i have myself 
heaven forgive me said so to people in perplexity and affliction but it was before i had suffered perplexity and vexation myself and i am sure i will never preach patience to any human being again now that i know how much the medicine goes against the stomach you will think better of it maiden said the lady hermione i also when i first felt distressed thought they did me wrong who spoke to me of patience but my sorrows have been repeated and continued till i have been taught to cling to it as the best and religious duties excepted of which indeed patience forms a part the only alleviation which life can afford them margaret who neither wanted sense nor feeling wiped her tears hastily and asked for her patroness's forgiveness for her petulance i might have thought she said i ought to have reflected that even from the manner of your life madam it is plain you must have suffered sorrow and yet god knows the patience which i have ever seen you display well entitles you to recommend your own example to others the lady was silent for a moment and then replied margaret i am about to repose a high confidence in you you are no longer a child but a thinking and a feeling woman you have told me as much of your secret as you dared i will let you know as much of mine as i may venture to tell you will ask me perhaps why at a moment when your own mind is agitated i should force upon you the consideration of my sorrows and i answer that i cannot withstand the impulse which now induces me to do so perhaps from having witnessed for the first time these three years the natural effects of human passion my own sorrows have been awakened and are for the moment too big for my own bosom perhaps i may hope that you who seem driving full sail on the very rock on which i was wrecked for ever will take warning by the tale i have to tell enough if you are willing to listen i am willing to tell you who the melancholy inhabitant of the fold jam apartments really is and why she resides here it will serve at least to while away the time until monopola shall bring us the reply from roberts at any other moment of her life margaret ramsay would have heard with undivided interest a communication so flattering in itself and referring to a subject upon which the general curiosity had been so strongly excited and even at this agitating moment although she ceased not to listen with an anxious ear and throbbing heart for the sound of monopola's returning footsteps she nevertheless as gratitude and policy as well as a portion of curiosity dictated composed herself in appearance at least to the strictest attention to the lady hermione and thanked her with humility for the high confidence she was pleased to repose in her the lady hermione with the same calmness which always attended her speech and actions thus recounted her story to her young friend my father she said was a merchant but he was of a city whose merchants are princes i am the daughter of a noble house in genoa whose name stood as high in honour and in antiquity as any inscribed in the golden register of that famous aristocracy my mother was a noble scottish woman she was descended do not start and not remotely descended of the house of Glenvarlock. no wonder that i was easily led to take concern in the misfortunes of this young lord he is my near relation and my mother who was more than sufficiently proud of her descent early taught me to take an interest in the name my maternal grandfather a cadet of the house of Glenvarlock, had followed the fortunes of an unhappy fugitive francis earl of bothwell who after showing his miseries in many a foreign court at length settled in spain upon a miserable pension which he earned by conforming to the catholic faith ralph oliphant my grandfather separated from him in disgust and settled at barcelona where by the friendship of the governor his heresy as it was termed was connived at my father in the course of his commerce resided more at barcelona than in his native country though at times he visited genoa it was at barcelona that he became acquainted with my mother 
loved her and married her they differed in faith but they agreed in affection i was their only child in public i conformed to the doctrines and ceremonial of the church of rome but my mother by whom these were regarded with horror privately trained me up in those of the reformed religion and my father either indifferent in the matter or unwilling to distress the woman whom he loved overlooked or connived at my secretly joining in her devotions but when unhappily my father was attacked while yet in the prime of life by a slow wasting disease which he felt to be incurable he foresaw the hazard to which his widow and orphan might be exposed after he was no more in a country so bigoted to catholicism as spain he made it his business during the two last years of his life to realize and remit to england a large part of his fortune which by the faith and honour of his correspondent the excellent man under whose roof i now reside was employed to great advantage had my father lived to complete his purpose by withdrawing his whole fortune from commerce he himself would have accompanied us to england and would have beheld us settled in peace and honour before his death but heaven had ordained it otherwise he died leaving several sums engaged in the hands of his spanish debtors and in particular he had made a large and extensive consignment to a certain wealthy society of merchants at madrid who showed no willingness after his death to account for the proceeds would to god we had left these covetous and wicked men in possession of their booty for such they seemed to hold the property of their deceased correspondent and friend we had enough for comfort and even splendour already secured in england but friends exclaimed upon the folly of permitting these unprincipled men to plunder us of our rightful property the sum itself was large and the claim having been made my mother thought that my father's memory was interested in its being enforced especially as the defences set up for the mercantile society went in some degree to impeach the fairness of his transactions we went therefore to madrid i was then my margaret about your age young and thoughtless as you have hitherto been we went i say to madrid to solicit the protection of the court and of the king without which we were told it would be in vain to expect justice against an opulent and powerful association our residence at the spanish metropolis drew on from weeks to months for my part my natural sorrow for a kind though not a fond father having abated i cared not if the lawsuit had detained us at madrid for ever my mother permitted herself and me rather more liberty than we had been accustomed to she found relations among the scottish and irish officers many of whom held a high rank in the spanish armies their wives and daughters became our friends and companions and i had perpetual occasion to exercise my mother's native language which i had learned from my infancy by degrees as my mother's spirits were low and her health indifferent she was induced by her partial fondness for me to suffer me to mingle occasionally in society which she herself did not frequent under the guardianship of such ladies as she imagined she could trust and particularly under the care of the lady of a general officer whose weakness or falsehood was the original cause of my misfortunes i was as gay margaret and thoughtless i again repeated as you were but lately and my attention like yours became suddenly riveted to one object and to one set of feelings the person by whom they were excited was a young noble handsome accomplished a soldier and a briton so far our cases are nearly parallel but may heaven forbid that the parallel should become complete this man so noble so fairly formed so gifted and so brave this villain for that margaret was his fittest name spoke of love to me and i listened could i suspect his sincerity if he was wealthy noble and long descended i also was a noble and an opulent heiress it is true that he neither knew the extent of my father's wealth nor did i communicate to him i do not even remember if i myself knew it at the time the important circumstance that the greater part of that wealth was beyond the grasp of arbitrary power and not subject to the precarious award of arbitrary judges 
my lover might think perhaps as my mother was desirous the world at large should believe that almost our whole fortune depended on the precarious suit which we had come to madrid to prosecute a belief which he had countenanced out of policy being well aware that a knowledge of my father's having remitted such a large part of his fortune to england would in no shape aid the recovery of further sums in the spanish courts yet with no more extensive views of my fortune than were possessed by the public i believe that he of whom i am speaking was at first sincere in his pretensions he had himself interests sufficient to have obtained a decision in our favour in the courts and my fortune reckoning only what was in spain would then have been no inconsiderable sum to be brief whatever might be his motives or temptation for so far committing himself he applied to my mother for my hand with my consent and approval my mother's judgment had become weaker but her passions had become more irritable during her increasing illness you have heard of the bitterness of the ancient scottish feuds of which it may be said in the language of scripture that the fathers eat sour grapes and the teeth of their children are set on edge unhappily i should say happily considering what this man has now shown himself to be some such strain of bitterness had divided his house from my mother's and she had succeeded to the inheritance of hatred when he asked her for my hand she was no longer able to command her passions she raked up every injury which the rival families had inflicted upon each other during a bloody feud of two centuries heaped him with epithets of scorn and rejected his proposal of alliance as if it had come from the basest of mankind my lover retired in passion and i remained to weep and murmur against fortune and i will confess my fault against my affectionate parent i have been educated with different feelings and the traditions of the feuds and quarrels of my mother's family in scotland which were to her monuments and chronicles seemed to me as insignificant and unmeaning as the actions and fantasies of don quixote and i blamed my mother bitterly for sacrificing my happiness to an empty dream of family dignity while i was in this humour my lover sought a renewal of our intercourse we met repeatedly in the house of the lady whom i have mentioned and who in levity or in the spirit of intrigue countenanced our secret correspondence at length we were secretly married so far did my blinded passion hurry me my lover had secured the assistance of a clergyman of the english church monoparla who had been my attendant from infancy was one witness of our union let me do the faithful creature justice she conjured me to suspend my purpose till my mother's death should permit us to celebrate our marriage openly but the entreaties of my lover and my own wayward passion prevailed over her remonstrances the lady i have spoken of was another witness but whether she was in full possession of my bridegroom's secret i had never the means to learn but the shelter of her name and roof afforded us the means of frequently meeting and the love of my husband seemed as sincere and as unbounded as my own he was eager he said to gratify his pride by introducing me to one or two of his noble english friends this could not be done at lady d s but by his command which i was now entitled to consider as my law i contrived twice to visit him at his own hotel accompanied only by monopola there was a very small party of two ladies and two gentlemen there was music mirth and dancing i had heard of the frankness of the english nation but i could not help thinking it bordered on license during these entertainments in the course of the collation which followed but i imputed my scruples to my inexperience and would not doubt the propriety of what was approved by my husband i was soon summoned to other scenes my poor mother's disease drew to a conclusion happier i am that it took place before she discovered what would have cut her to the soul in spain you may have heard how the catholic priests and particularly the monks besieged the beds of the dying to obtain bequests for the good of the church i have said that my mother's temper was irritated by disease and her judgment impaired in proportion 
she gathered spirits and force from the resentment which the priests around her bed excited by their importunity and the boldness of the stern sect of reformers to which she had secretly adhered seemed to animate her dying tongue she avowed the religion she had so long concealed renounced all hope and aid which did not come by and through its dictates rejected with contempt the ceremonial of the romish church loaded the astonished priests with reproaches for their greediness and hypocrisy and commanded them to leave her house they went in bitterness and rage but it was to return with the inquisitorial power its warrants and its officers and they found only the cold corpse left of her on whom hoped to work their vengeance as i was soon discovered to have shared my mother's heresy i was dragged from her dead body imprisoned in a solitary cloister and treated with severity which the abbess assured me was due to the looseness of my life as well as my spiritual errors i avowed my marriage to justify the situation in which i found myself i implored the assistance of the superior to communicate my situation to my husband she smiled coldly at the proposal and told me the church had provided a better spouse for me advised me to secure myself of divine grace hereafter and deserve milder treatment here by presently taking the veil in order to convince me that i had no other resource she showed me a royal decree by which all my estate was hypothecated to the convent of st magdalen and became their complete property upon my death or taking my vows as i was both from religious principle and affectionate attachment to my husband absolutely immovable in my rejection of the veil i believe may heaven forgive me if i wrong her that the abbess was desirous to make sure of my spoils by hastening the former event it was a small and a poor convent and situated among the mountains of guadarama some of the sisters were the daughters of neighbouring hidalgos as poor as they were proud and ignorant others were women immured there on account of their vicious conduct the superior herself was of a high family to which she owed her situation but she was said to have disgraced her connections by her conduct during youth and now in advanced age covetousness and the love of power a spirit too of severity and cruelty had succeeded to the thirst after licentious pleasure i suffered much under this woman and still her dark glassy eye her tall shrouded form and her rigid features haunt my slumbers i was not destined to be a mother i was very ill and my recovery was long doubtful the most violent remedies were applied if remedies they indeed were my health was restored at length against my own expectation that of all around me but when i first again beheld the reflection of my own face i thought it was the visage of a ghost i was wont to be flattered by all but particularly by my husband for the fineness of my complexion it was now totally gone and what is more extraordinary it has never returned i have observed that the few who now see me look upon me as a bloodless phantom such has been the abiding effect of the treatment to which i was subjected may god forgive those who were the agents of it i thank heaven i can say so with as sincere a wish as that with which i pray for forgiveness of my own sins they now relented somewhat towards me moved perhaps to compassion by my singular appearance which bore witness to my sufferings or afraid that the matter might attract attention during a visitation of the bishop which was approaching one day as i was walking in the convent garden to which i had been lately admitted a miserable old moorish slave who was kept to cultivate the little spot muttered as i passed him but still keeping his wrinkled face and decrepit form in the same angle with the earth there is heart's ease near the postern i knew something of the symbolical language of flowers once carried to such perfection among the moriscos of spain but if i had been ignorant of it the captive would soon have caught at any hint which seemed to promise liberty with all the haste consistent with the utmost circumspection 
for i might be observed by the abbess or some of the sisters from the window i hastened to the postern it was closely barred as usual but when i coughed slightly i was answered from the other side and o oh, heaven it was my husband's voice which said lose not a minute here at present but be on this spot when the vesper bell has tolled i retired in an ecstasy of joy i was not entitled or permitted to assist at vespers but was accustomed to be confined to my cell while the nuns were in the choir since my recovery they had discontinued locking the door though the utmost severity was denounced against me if i left these precincts but let the penalty be what it would i hastened to dare it no sooner had the last toll of the vesper bell ceased to sound than i stole from my chamber reached the garden unobserved hurried to the postern beheld it open with rapture and in the next moment was in my husband's arms he had with him another cavalier of noble mien both were masked and armed their horses with one saddle for my use stood in a thicket hard by with two other masked horsemen who seemed to be servants in less than two minutes we were mounted and rode off as fast as we could through rough and devious roads in which one of the domestics appeared to act as guide the hurried pace at which we rode and the anxiety of the moment kept me silent and prevented my expressing my surprise or my joy save in a few broken words it also served as an apology for my husband's silence at length we stopped at a solitary hut the cavaliers dismounted and i was assisted from my saddle not by m m my husband i would say who seemed busied about his horse but by the stranger go into the hut said my husband change your dress with the speed of lightning you will find one to assist you we must forward instantly when you have shifted your apparel i entered the hut and was received in the arms of the faithful monopolo who had waited my arrival for many hours half distracted with fear and anxiety with her assistance i speedily tore off the detested garments of the convent and exchanged them for a travelling suit made after the english fashion i observed that monopolo was in a similar dress i had but just huddled on my change of attire when we were hastily summoned to mount a horse i found was provided for monopolo and we resumed our route on the way my convert garb which had been wrapped hastily together around a stone was thrown into a lake along the verge of which we were then passing the two cavaliers rode together in front my attendant and i followed and the servants brought up the rear monopola as we rode on repeatedly entreated me to be silent upon the road as our lives depended on it i was easily reconciled to be passive for the first fever of spirits which attended the sense of liberation and of gratified affection having passed away i felt as if i were dizzy with the rapid motion and my utmost exertion was necessary to keep my place on the saddle until we suddenly it was now very dark saw a strong light before us my husband reined up his horse and gave a signal by a low whistle twice repeated which was answered from a distance the whole party then halted under the boughs of a large cork tree and my husband drawing himself close to my side said in a voice which i then thought was only embarrassed by fear for my safety we must now part those to whom i commit you are contrabandists who only know you as englishwomen but who for a high bribe have undertaken to escort you through the passes of the pyrenees as far as st jean de luz and do you not go with us i exclaimed with emphasis though in a whisper it is impossible he said and would ruin all see that you speak in english and these people's hearing and give not the least sign of understanding what they say in spanish your life depends on it for though they live in opposition to and evasion of the laws of spain they would tremble at the idea of violating those of the church i see them coming farewell farewell the last words were hastily uttered i endeavoured to detain him yet a moment by my feeble grasp on his cloak you will meet me then i trust at st jean de luz yes yes he answered hastily at st jean de luz you will meet your protector 
he then extricated his cloak from my grasp and was lost in the darkness his companion approached kissed my hand which in the agony of the moment i was scarce sensible of and followed my husband attended by one of the domestics the tears of hermione here flowed so fast as to threaten the interruption of her narrative when she resumed it it was with a kind of apology to margaret every circumstance she said occurring in those moments when i still enjoyed a delusive idea of happiness is deeply imprinted in my remembrance which respecting all that has since happened is waste and unvaried as an arabian desert but i have no right to inflict on you margaret agitated as you are with your own anxieties the unavailing details of my useless recollections margaret's eyes were full of tears it was impossible it could be otherwise considering that the tale was told by her suffering benefactress and resembled in some respects her own situation yet she must not be severely blamed if while eagerly pressing her patroness to continue her narrative her eye involuntarily sought the door as if to chide the delay of Mona Paula. the lady hermione saw and forgave these conflicting emotions and she too must be pardoned if in her turn the minute detail of her narrative showed that in the discharge of feelings so long blocked in her own bosom she rather forgot those which were personal to her auditor and by which it must be supposed margaret's mind was principally occupied if not entirely engrossed i told you i think that one domestic followed the gentleman thus the lady continued her story the other remained with us for the purpose as it seemed of introducing us to two persons whom m i say whom my husband's signal had brought to the spot a word or two of explanation passed between them and the servant in a sort of patois which i did not understand and one of the strangers taking hold of my bridle the other of monopolis they led us towards the light which i have already said was the signal of our halting i touched monopola and was sensible that she trembled very much which surprised me because i knew her character to be so strong and bold as to border upon the masculine when we reached the fire the gypsy figures of those who surrounded it with their swarthy features large sombrero hats girdles stuck full of pistols and poniards and all the other apparatus of a roving and perilous life would have terrified me at another moment but then i only felt the agony of having parted from my husband almost in the very moment of my rescue the females of the gang for there were four or five women amongst these contraband traders received us with a sort of rude courtesy they were in dress and manners not extremely different from the men with whom they associated were almost as hardy and adventurous carried arms like them and were as we learned from passing circumstances scarce less experienced in the use of them it was impossible not to fear these wild people yet they gave us no reason to complain of them but used us all occasions with a kind of clumsy courtesy accommodating themselves to our wants and our weakness during the journey even while we heard them grumbling to each other against our effeminacy like some rude carrier who in charge of a package of valuable and fragile ware takes every precaution for its preservation while he curses the unwanted trouble which it occasions him once or twice when they were disappointed in their contraband traffic lost some goods in a recontra with the spanish officers of the revenue and were finally pursued by military police their murmurs assumed a more alarming tone in the terrified ears of my attendant and myself when without daring to seem to understand them we heard them curse the insular heretics on whose account god st james and our lady of the pillar had blighted their hopes of profit these are dreadful recollections margaret why then dearest lady answered margaret will you thus dwell on them it is only said the lady hermione because i linger like a criminal on the scaffold and would fain protract the time that must inevitably bring on the final catastrophe yes dearest margaret i rest and dwell on the events of that journey marked as it was by fatigue and danger though the road lay through the wildest and most desolate deserts and mountains and though our companions both men and women 
were fierce and lawless themselves and exposed to the most merciless retaliation from those with whom they were constantly engaged yet would i rather dwell on these hazardous events than tell that which awaited me at st jean de luz but you arrived there in safety said margaret yes maiden replied lady hermione and were guided by the chief of our outlawed band to the house which had been assigned for reception with the same punctilious accuracy with which he would have delivered a bale of unaccustomed goods to a correspondent i was told a gentleman had expected me for two days i rushed into the apartment and when i expected to embrace my husband i found myself in the arms of his friend the villain exclaimed margaret whose anxiety had in spite of herself been a moment suspended by the narrative of the lady yes replied hermione calmly though her voice somewhat faltered it is the name that best that well befits him he margaret for whom i had sacrificed all whose love and whose memory were dearer to me than my freedom when i was in the convent than my life when i was on my perilous journey had taken his measures to shake me off and transfer me as a privileged wanton to the protection of his libertine friend at first the stranger laughed at my tears and my agony as the hysterical passion of a deluded and overreached wanton or the wily affection of a courtesan my claim of marriage he laughed at assuring me he knew it was a mere farce required by me and submitted to by his friend to save some reserve of delicacy and expressed his surprise that i should consider in any other light a ceremony which could be valid neither in spain nor england and insultingly offered to remove my scruples by renewing such a union with me himself my exclamations brought Mona Paula to my aid she was not indeed far distant for she had expected some such scene good heavens said margaret was she a confidant of your base husband no answered hermione do her not that injustice it was her persevering inquiries that discovered the place of my confinement it was she who gave the information to my husband and who remarked even then that the news was so much more interesting to his friend than to him that she suspected from an early period it was the purpose of the villain to shake me off on the journey her suspicions were confirmed she had heard him remark to his companion with a cold sarcastic sneer the total change which my prison and my illness had made on my complexion and she had heard the other reply that the defect might be cured by a touch of spanish red this and other circumstances having prepared her for such treachery Mona Paula now entered completely possessed of herself and prepared to support me her calm representations went farther with the stranger than the expressions of my despair if he did not entirely believe our tale he at least acted the part of a man of honour who would not intrude himself on defenceless females whatever was their character desisted from persecuting us with his presence and not only directed monopola how we should journey to paris but furnished her with money for the purpose of our journey from the capital i wrote to master harriet my father's most trusted correspondent he came instantly to paris on receiving the letter and but here comes monopola with more than the sum you desired take it my dearest maiden serve this youth if you will but oh margaret look for no gratitude in return the lady hermione took the bag of gold from her attendant and gave it to her young friend who threw herself into her arms kissed her on both the pale cheeks over which the sorrow so nearly awakened by her narrative had drawn many tears then sprung up wiped her own overflowing eyes and left the foljam apartments with a hasty and resolved step End of chapter twenty